0: uh, old story about a little boy who uh, went out into a field with his baseball and in one hand his trusty bat in the other and and he tosses the ball into the air and he says to himself I am the greatest batter in the world. And then he swings and misses. Picks up his ball again threw it into the air again uh, and as he swung he repeated to himself I am the greatest batter in the world. And once again he missed. Now this time he he stopped to examine his bat to make sure there weren't any holes in the top of it. Uh, and then he picks up his ball, he adjusts his cap, tosses the ball into the air for the third time, and says, Again, I am the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> or batter. In the, oh, I gave away my joke. <laughs> See? I kept hearing this echoing in my head. Can you, tur- can you turn off the choir mics? Can you guys turn off the choir m- Thank you. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, now you know the, you know the punchline. So he says to himself, after he's all depressed and, and, and upset, he says, Wow, I, I, I missed three times in a row. I must be the greatest pitcher in the world. But you guys already got the punchline before I said it. So. <laughs> That's something else I forgot this week. I don't know what I'm doing. But anyway, my point in telling you that is today on this first Sunday of the new year, uh, when we look back over the last 12 months, I'm not sure... Uh, whether most of us would consider ourselves pitchers or batters, and I'm not sure which one I am today, Uh, but one thing for sure is that we have all struck out from time to time over this past year, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And like that little boy with his baseball, I would suggest, though, that our perspective uh, makes all the difference in this year to come when we look at life, and you're going to see that uh, and the proof of that in our message today from our psalm, uh, and also in the way that it points to the life of the messiah and the hope that men and women have been seeking for generations and are still looking for today so we're up to psalm 75 Uh, and if you usually read along i usually do ESV, but today i'm going to read it in the king james version for you so psalm 75 beginning in verse 1 and he writes unto thee O god do we give thanks unto thee do we give thanks for that thy name is near thy wondrous works declare When I shall receive the congregation, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all the inhabitants thereof are dissolved. I bear up the pillars of it, selah. I said unto the fools, deal not foolishly, and to the wicked, lift not up the horn. Lift not up your horn on high, and speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one, and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it's full of mixture. And he poureth out of the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. You know, just like... uh, Psalm 74 that we worked through last Lord's Day together Psalm 75 is uh, one that was born in a time of disaster and, and in distress a time about 600 years before the birth of Jesus and that disaster came in the form of the Babylonian invasion and the Jewish exile that left our psalmist Asaph in a state of shock and and confusion and outrage as he looks around at the world and he thinks to himself wait a minute it, if God exists And if he's all-powerful, why did he allow such terrible, terrible things to happen to such a great nation and to such good people? Uh, And he's not alone in that thought, is he? You've you've thought that before, haven't you? I've I've thought that before. There's no sense denying it. Uh, But today, all of that confusion is gone when we come to Psalm 75, where for the psalmist Asaph, the very same circumstances with all of those same disorders around him, are contemplated from a completely different direction, from a completely different posture, uh, and a completely different attitude. And the, the, the troubles are still the same. They're just as real, but his attitude is completely changed. And the reason for this newfound hope and confidence that the psalmist exudes in Psalm 75 is because he's remembered something. He's remembered something vital, He remembers that what we're going through or the way that we're going through it, even when we're not sure about it, God is still at work. God is still at work and He has a plan. He has a plan and a purpose. And more than that, He has a pattern laid out and a path for us to walk. uh, Even when we feel like we can barely see around the next corner. Even when we wonder what's going to happen in our country with all of the turmoil in the Middle East again. Even when we walking to the sanctuary and have to will ourselves not to think about the church massacre in texas uh, or, or possibly even when we just need the courage to come out from under the covers in the morning and face another day uh, i assure you brothers and sisters god is still on the throne god is still on the throne and he knows not just what you're going through but he already knows what he intends to do about it uh, the very thought of which caused our psalmist asaph to lift up his voice in praise and thanksgiving and worship to God in today's psalm, uh, and one that really opened with a beautiful message of encouragement to the Lord's remnant people, uh, to people that were seeking after God and patiently waiting on His promise to put the world right again. And it was a message of perseverance and of confidence in God's promise to send a deliverer to chop off what Asaph calls the fierce horns of the oppressor and to restore the dignity of the oppressed anybody out there have any horns they'd like to see chopped off in this new year? Right. Anybody have any nagging, uh, poking, prodding problems from 2019 that you'd like to see cut out of your life in 2020? Yeah. Or, or maybe just some that you'd like to see for the Lord to shed some fresh light on and direction on. I know I do. And those ideas really lead perfectly into uh, the Christian holiday. And we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Uh, that the church marks in the lectionary calendar this coming Monday, uh, because Monday marks the Feast of Epiphany, uh, or as some Christians refer to it, Three Kings Day. It's a time set aside to commemorate those uh, enigmatic figures from a faraway land who brought gifts to the baby Jesus, Uh, those strange men from even stranger land who recognized the brightness of Christ's birth and came to uh, put a new perspective on his life, Uh, one that even his own people didn't recognize, uh, if you remember from the beginning of the Gospel of John, he tells us uh, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He came into his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, you know, that's really the essence of epiphany, but, but it takes some perspective to see it, a perspective that I'm going to show you because, uh, you know, point of view matters, the the light of the same sun that melts wax, it hardens clay. Uh, the light of the sun warms and it comforts, but it also burns and kills. And that's equally true of the advent of the sunlight of the Son of God. Uh, and one of the easiest places to recognize that truth actually plays out uh, in the interaction between Herod, King Herod of the Jews, and the Magi from the East. That day that we commemorate on Monday at Epiphany and. You know, when I was thinking about the holiday, I have to say, at, at first glance, the name of it is kind of funny. Because if you look up the word epiphany in the dictionary, one of its definitions is a sudden insight into something's essential meaning. But, you know, it seems to me at least that we as Christians know essentially nothing about the wise men at all, do we? Because they, uh, all we really know about them we find in a tiny part of Matthew chapter 2 where they uh, show up in verse 1 and they disappear by verse 12 leaving behind a whole lot of unanswered questions. Uh, questions that storytellers have spun into great legends and, and dubious traditions over the centuries, like um, there being only three of them. Or like, remember, we had the, the manger scene set up here that they showed up at the manger. But as in all things, the truth of God's Word and the real story behind these men uh, is so much more intriguing and straightforward than our made-up traditions, and I want to share that with you just briefly In the context of Scripture in general and of Psalm 75 in particular, where we see God's plans and His promise to ultimately raise up His people and finally ruin our enemies in whatever form they take. And this is going to stretch your brain just a little bit because, you know, you and I like stories that are neat and tidy and wrap up in 30-minute TV episodes. But we have to remember that God's plans are long-term, His purposes are eternal. His perspective is generational, so keep that in mind, but it's also very personal. He also involves individual people and their very real problems. And to see what got this whole ball rolling, we need to take a look back at a strategic point in time, as I said, around 500 years before the birth of Jesus, uh, to the time of Israel's exile in Babylon, where both Psalms 74 and 75 speak of. Uh, and to the life probably of the greatest man of God living at that time, uh, a young man named Daniel. You guys remember his story, right? The the young man who was a member of the Israeli nobility, who had been taken into captivity, and who, uh, in the providence of God, came into the court of the king of Babylon. The scriptures tell us three years were there, uh, had passed, and then it happened that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that really shook him really troubled him past the point of being able to think about anything else so he calls together all of his magicians and enchanters and astrologers but nobody could interpret the dream for him and nobody that is until God sent the interpretation to Daniel uh, who was at the time uh, just one of the king's most junior officials just kind of some minor bureaucrat in a back office but to God he was the man of his choosing for that hour And when Daniel, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, received the dream's meaning and he solved the king's problem, Nebuchadnezzar said to him in Daniel chapter 2, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, if you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men. And that was a title that was reconfirmed on him by Nebuchadnezzar's successor in Daniel 5, who the Bible tells us made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. You see the path starting to form here? So in other words, Daniel was appointed chief of the wise men. He was head of the magi. He was a servant of God to supervise these sinful sorcerers, these Zodiac readers. And you know, God does that sometimes. Sometimes he puts his people in difficult and dangerous and spiritually dark places to bring a change of heart to people we may not expect for God to change. Have you ever seen that happen? And that's exactly what happened with Daniel and his ministry to the Magi. It was a ministry that would have gradually but persistently exposed these pagan philosophers to the worship of the one true God and to the truths of His Holy Word. And also given them the promise of a deliverer who would come to save them and enlighten them. And teach them real wisdom and truth. And Daniel would have also turned to the comfort of his fellow Jewish believers. And he would have prayed and worshipped with them. And would have sought God daily for the rescue and relief from this burden that they were going through physically and spiritually. In fact, he may have even prayed along with Asaph in the words of Psalm 74 from last week. Lord, remember your congregation which you purchased from of old. Which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Maybe even remembering from Psalm 75 today that God is the judge. He puts down one and setteth up another. For God says, I will break the strength of the wicked, but I will increase the power of the godly. And you know, God did that for Daniel. And he knew the secret of receiving that power and holding on to that hope was by consistently sharing his faith and praising God publicly in the process. Just like Psalm 75 we read this morning, Tells us, unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks for that thy name is near, thy wondrous works declare. And you know, Daniel and his countrymen in exile did that. Uh, Even from the pain of loss and from oppression, they still declared God's praises and his mighty works uh, to Jews and Gentiles alike because they understood, as, as we did, that the purposes of God are not just for one kind of people. They're not just for one geographic area. Or for one man's lifetime, but there for eternity. Uh, And as the scarlet threads of God's grand plan of redemption start to fold together and to form a pattern here, we know that pattern brought the Prince of Peace into this world. But it did it with the express purpose of sending him to the cross. And so keep that story of Daniel in your mind and then fast forward with me about 500 years to the time when Jerusalem is again under foreign occupation. But this time it's the Roman Caesar instead of the King of Babylon. A time when the prophet Daniel is long dead along with all those wise men that he had been put in charge of. But his faith wasn't dead. And neither was the truth of God's Word that he had taught those, those wise men he was in charge of. And this is where the Gospel of Matthew picks up the story in Matthew chapter 2 and tells us, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him did you notice they said his star not just a star well, how did they know it was his star uh, why did they think it was just a star of portent for their own land why didn't they think it was uh, some sign from some foreign god and for that matter since they were just as much astrologers as astronomers why didn't they think wow that, that's really cool What a great natural phenomenon for us to track. Well, you know, it's very likely it's because these so-called magi were actually descendants, and maybe more than descendants, but 10th generation disciples of the group of wise men. Men who were wise to the things of God. Men that the prophet Daniel had formed in Babylon after his promotion by the king and that heavenly vision. You see how God's plans pulled together? The descendants and followers of men that Daniel had taught the scriptures to messianic scriptures filled with hope and promise for the future scriptures like numbers 24 when balaam blessed israel in spite of himself and said i see him but not now i behold him but not near a star shall come out of jacob and a scepter shall rise out of israel see in other words god was going to send a savior who could shine light and meaning and purpose on your individual life and on all the mess of this world But not only that, he would send someone who actually had the power to do something about it. And Daniel's wise men passed on that hope. And they passed on that promise from father to son and from teacher to student until the time came, the time that his star appeared. And when they saw it, whatever form it took, whether it was a blazing comet, conjunction of planets, or even just a reflection of that same Shekinah glory of God that led the Israelites as a flame of fire by night they knew that their hope hadn't been in vain, even if it had been a long time in coming. And they immediately began their long journey to Bethlehem. These Gentile men, these foreigners to the kingdom of God, uh, traveling nearly a thousand miles from Babylon to find their long-awaited Savior. One that the so-called people of God weren't even looking for anymore, because if you remember the story, uh, when the Magi stopped to ask King Herod about it, uh, he was so blindsided he didn't even answer their question. He just sends them away and has a a private powwow with his own wise men, with the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And Matthew tells us in his gospel that when Herod heard this, heard the wise men's question about a newborn king, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet... And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And you know what? That ruler definitely wasn't King Herod, was it? And the reason that he was so deeply disturbed is because he had been given the title King of the Jews by the Romans, even though he wasn't Jewish. And he was planning that one of his own sons, none of whom were babies at that time, would get it when he was done with it. Ignoring the wisdom of Asaph in today's uh, psalm, that promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but from God alone. Because, you know, Herod wasn't about to give up his undeserved promotion, and he didn't let the news of Christ's birth melt his heart. Instead, it only hardened him more against it. And so, uh, naturally, he didn't jump on board with the idea that God had a better ruler in mind for his people. A ruler who would, in the words of Psalm 75, receive the congregation and judge it uprightly. But that was God's plan. That was his plan from eternity past and his purpose and his pattern that worked in and through the lives of ordinary, very real people just like you and me. Uh, People with very real problems and very real pains and nagging pressures uh, who oftentimes don't know what they want to do next. But that was Matthew's point in these first two chapters of his gospel. That was daniel's message in his vision and that was asaph's hope and comfort in psalm 74 and 75 that a messiah was coming to make all the world's wrongs right again not just in some kind of big macrocosmic way but in a personal one and one that gets right down into the mud with us and into the midst of the realities of this world and that saw its savior born in the meanness of a manger see brothers and sisters jesus is that one he's The long sought after the Messiah. He's the one who's big enough to help but small enough to care. He's the one who would be a light for the Gentiles like those Magi. And the glory of Israel like Daniel and Asaph, that's the meaning and the message of Epiphany. It's one that transcends all of our cultures and all the peoples of this world and our pains and our problems. It's one that isn't afraid to ask God the tough questions. It's one that doesn't shy away from our very real lives, but finds its purpose in God the Father who called light out of darkness. Finds its comfort in the Holy Spirit who illuminates the cracks and crevices of our lives that we don't want other folks to see. And it's in the bright hope of Jesus Christ the Son in whom is life and light for all of us who love Him. For all of us that are looking eagerly for Him to appear again and to show us the way forward to a place where the hopes and disappointments of yesterday don't have any more sting. To a place where the Herods of this world don't have any more power over our lives. To a place where the the pain and pressure of this life aren't permitted in the radiant sunlight of His presence. So brothers and sisters, let's go into 2020 looking forward in hope. Acknowledging that this year, as with every time and space, is under Christ's sovereign rule and that we are safe in His hands that we're called into his service and we're committed to share his love with everyone that we meet, inviting them to this table of mercy where we receive God's grace. Will you pray with me?